spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. Hey, I'm bringing you two new chapters of Hungry Ghosts of Paradise, and I'm picking up in my writing practice after a really, really fun summer of traveling, and it's actually still happening. I found a window to record this and I really can't wait to share more stories about my travels and the really transformative things that have been happening. But for now, I'll leave you with these two new installments of this audio novella. And if you haven't been tuning in from the beginning, go back to chapter one, many episodes back at this point and start from there. A reminder, this story is for adults. Please listen responsibly. Chapter 19 My astrologer, Dina, sits in an armchair across from me at a slight diagonal. Her office is next to her kitchen, where she first offered me tea and honey with a wooden honey stick. Dina is mostly caught up on the recent details of my life, my father's death and the synchronistic intricacies surrounding it, the blossoming of my very optimistically divulged relationship with Aiden. I catch her up through tears. Do I have a grief quota to fulfill with the universe? I knew it wasn't a good idea to go paragliding that day because of my ear and his dream, but I never imagined the consequences would be so severe. When I wake up in the morning, it's only for a few seconds that I feel nothingness, no memory, blankness, before I transition to the electric, sudden recall of these events and everything I've lost. I feel completely unmoored and an excruciating pain every second of every day. Dina says, The death of one's father, or either parent, before the first Saturn return especially, would feel like the bottom dropped out. This was originally held for you by Aiden, and often a third person does constellate around the death of a parent, but he's not holding it anymore. It's normal that you feel this way. This wouldn't have happened, his injury, if I had stopped him that day. He gave me that power, and I didn't want to make that decision for him. And he basically almost died, Dina, and he has a head injury now. Is it my fault? No, she sighs. He's past Saturn return, and you're not. He is the adult, comparatively, in the situation. It's not your fault. This was his responsibility. I continue to bargain and wrestle with the place I find myself in until Dina says with glittering eyes, wrists pressed onto her thighs, 
fingers lightly tapped to her knees. He's not big enough for you. I don't entirely trust her in this moment. Is it true? Or is she just getting carried away in the charisma of her role? I am terrified of the life in which Aiden was the biggest man I'd ever known. That he was big enough for me, and in fact, all I would ever get. That my life is downhill from here, tainted by a taste of paradise I will forever be haunted by. The spell of this consumes me. And so, a part of me also hangs on to her words, the very ones I don't trust. I have breakfast at a French bakery with my ex, the one I healed my womb from afterward. Over salmon, eggs benedict, crispy rosemary potatoes, he regales me about a recent dream he had, where he was interrogating someone in an all-dark room, the lamp shining like a spotlight brightly on this man, because this man complimented me, but not highly enough. He was not a good enough compliment. He laughs. I laugh. The waiter, an Aries, a distant acquaintance. I like his decadent gay thirst traps on Instagram. He likes my astrology posts. At times, I sense he is eavesdropping out of curiosity. My ex is charming. And I'm quite strange. My ex bows his head in shame at the tale of Aiden. He comes up with ultimatums I ought to offer him, letters I ought to write him, ways I ought to punish him for so catastrophically going against the force that day of the crash, against my intuition and knowing, how dare he, to punish him and extract from him better behavior to cater to my desire of how he should be. I'm not really into these futile feeling and misguided ideas. And it reminds me of the power games that in part led to me breaking up with this ex. As our food is mostly gone, he says, Can we go back to your house, make love like we used to? So nonchalantly. The transmission, to which I've forgotten the words, is something like, So this asshole trashes your relationship? For shame. Let me take care of you. I know how to make you feel good. I know how to make you feel better. Okay, I say. In my bed, kissing, it's like a familiar comfort and also disappointing, not Aiden. I ask him to enter me in a position I had realized I loved with Aiden, but something in our communication doesn't translate. Are you sure? He asks, penetrating me in a way that causes immediate sharp pain. Afterwards, blood, on the bed, the carpet. I squat in the bathroom, dripping red hot blood, hypnotized slightly by the sight of it on the ground, the pulsing thrum of my cervix pointed toward the ground. Wow, that man must have really broken your heart, my ex says loftily. Our sex. This moment is not the cause of this bleeding. It is not because. C, B, cause. The cause B. This moment has simply brought to the surface the pain that you're already in. I'm so sorry for the pain. 
this man has caused you. Hearing him unpack the word because, while I stared down at my own blood, this was the last time he and I had sex. In this moment, I didn't need to be right to assert, you fucked me the wrong way, like a damsel. It was the moment I tried to turn him into Aiden. It was not real connection. And I could say he's insensitive, call him names, say he should have known, or whatever, whatever. This was not a man receptive to argument or challenge. Both of us are implicated, even though he has his hands up in the air. And in this moment, I truly hate him and absolve him. I can let him go without being right. I ask to be left alone and he leaves. Where the truth meets my power is this. I was violating myself in a moment of desperation. I wanted relief. I wanted escape. And the oracle of my womb would not participate in the charade. Moralizing aside, I don't want to lose all the womb healing I'd experienced with Aiden. I hold my low navel the next few hours, curled up in bed, willing whatever regeneration capacities I have left until she stops aching. Chapter 20 Three months since my dad died. One month since the crash. I attend my first ever NORWAC, the Northwest Astrological Conference, May 2016. I make the drive from Olympia to Seattle and back each day and night. A handful of people I know or know me, but mostly I'm among all new people. I attend Mark Jones' pre-conference workshop because I'd read his book, The Soul Speaks, only months prior and I had loved it. I feel that I need a reading with him, so I approach him after to sign up and I get his very last availability a few days from now. I retreat to my car periodically during the conference because I can't hold it together. The new people I meet are not spared this. I tell them that I'm hanging by a thread. But often we find our way into discussions that comfort or distract me, though not always. Even those sitting next to me at lectures see me stare off and ask, are you okay? I run into a woman I know from the community online, a woman probably in her early 50s, who I find repelling. Generally, I've been evasive and curt with her have a strategy of not encouraging her, though I've never had reason to directly confront or reflect her, and she has no idea I feel this way about her. She's never paid me. I don't have containers yet. She's not a client. I refrain from giving her anything or encouraging her in the slightest because I don't think she has boundaries. But when I see her here in person for the first time, I feel like every archetype of poverty that there is, from the gutter sleeping right on the ground beside dirt-covered empty food wrappers, to a woman born in the lap of luxury with no street smarts, who has just lost everything and is having an extended nervous breakdown 
because she can't handle this rapid shift in fortune and the loss of buffer that her wealth and high up connections afforded her. In this state of poverty, I suspend identification with having anything to protect, any need for boundaries. So when this woman asks me how I am, I say I'm miserable. Me too. It's these shitty transits. I'm telling her the abbreviated story of how I had just had the most profound love of my life, then he got a head injury, and I'm essentially in hell now. Oh, me too, she says. My romance just ended. With him, I tell you I was drinking crystalline mountain water right from an alpine spring, like fucking pure pH-balanced water. Without him, water tastes like bleach. I back away, nauseous at the impact of the bleach metaphor. It's just men, you know, she goes on. It isn't even the first time I've experienced whiplash from hearing her words. But hey, I hear her again, piercing through the electrical static between us. I really, really like your writing. The rosé in her glass swishes about as she leans in toward me. You're just so good with words, and I just don't get it. I want to be a good writer. Can you tutor me? I begin to access some clarity, the ego consolidation of a no. I'm flimsily explaining I don't really teach writing, and I don't have the energy to create personalized offers right now. My inner pauper, realizing I do have something, not nothing, something enough to want better for myself in this very moment than participating in this conversation against my own will. Even if I also am drinking chlorine-tasting tap water, the way her eyes light up about it, I can't relate to the bid for intimacy in our related suffering. So I jump from holding my end of the conversation as though in a hypnotic trance and say unceremoniously, uh, I have to go, leaving the room, finding refuge in another crowd, then in a pocket of empty space in the conference center, then through the glass doors leading into the night, doors which are black now because of the night, then into my car which once held a road trip, hours and hours with Aiden, then down miles and miles of highway with no traffic, then to my soft cloud of a bed and the oblivion of sleep, the descending blackness behind my eyes and the temporary reprieve from consciousness. 